meet us and strengthen our faith. Amen. Let's figure out if I'm on here. I'm pretty good at troubleshooting around here. All right. That's better. So this morning we are continuing on with our sermon series in the book of Acts. Um, and I'm so grateful that Sharon was willing to share with us this morning because she gave the perfect introduction for this sermon. Um, because when Jesus left the earth in Luke, he did tell his disciples to spread his word into Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've been following these disciples from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and we're hanging out at the ends of the earth. Um, so we are in Corinth this morning. So that's Acts 18 on page 1723. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia... Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and he went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, 
settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off, and then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and they beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. This is the word of the Lord. Try this again. Can you hear me? No? What you think, Tim? Okay. All right. So just like Paul, we are pressing on. <laughs> All right. So. We have been walking with these missionaries through the book of Acts, as we started out saying. Um, and we've been walking with this metaphor of being on a journey and of climbing mountains. And how in life and when we're following the Lord and doing kingdom work, there are moments of just incredible views and mountaintop experiences. And there are these incredible lows and bittersweet, terrible moments. And so we're going to work with this image of mountains um, and if we can go to the next slide, I want you to sit with this image on with me. And I want you to imagine that you are this mountain climber. You've been on a non-stop mountain climbing journey for years. You are mentally strong and you are physically fit. And you have become an expert at knowing which paths to take and which to avoid. You can predict a loose rock before you even reach out to touch it. You have already climbed astounding peaks. You've come so far and you've seen beautiful sunrises and breathtaking sunsets. But these last couple climbs... They've been really, really hard. You fell a few times and you were severely injured. You're still nursing some wounds and at one point you nearly died. The last climb you had to do alone. And it was full of sorrow and it required a tremendous amount of personal sacrifice. And as you begin your ascent up this next mountain, you find yourself very much alone. You've lost most of your equipment along the way. This man has just a little bag. And this mountain may very well be the hardest climb of your life. Do you feel it? You're tired and your body aches and your spirit is heavy and you feel very much alone like you have no resources or equipment, but you know that you're supposed to climb this mountain. This is where we find Paul in this morning's text. He is at the base of one of the most difficult challenges of his life yet. It is the city of Corinth. So Paul is near the last leg of his journey that we see to be his second missionary journey of three. 
And over the course of his journey preaching this gospel and sharing the kingdom of God, Paul has been harassed. He has been lied about. He has been put in prison. He has seen his friends arrested for their association with him. He's been beaten within an inch of his life and even drug out and stoned. And last week we were with Paul in the city of Athens, and Pastor Dave invited us to bear witness to even more sorrow in the life of Paul and the grace of grief. Paul felt the grief of the brokenness of the world around him in addition to the grief of his own body and his own spirit. Now, a few in Athens had heard the gospel and they'd been welcomed into the kingdom of God. We have just a few references of specific names, but the harvest in Athens had been few. And Paul moves on to Corinth. And Corinth isn't just any city. Corinth is a madhouse. It's a sin city, and it's a pagan paradise. Corinth sat between two harbors, one in the east and one in the west, and it was a trading hub. So people from all over the world came in to trade and to barter to share their cultures, religions, and practices. And they also came to Corinth to have a good time. Corinth was full of pagan temples, and it was full of all the things that you find in pagan temples. It was a sin-swapping ground of people trading bodies, ideas, and practices. In fact, at this time period, if you read letters written by people of this time, there is a verb that says to Corinth, which means to fornicate, because that's what you did if you went to Corinth. This is not a pleasant place to preach the gospel. Your average Corinthian was likely not in the mood to hear a sermon and certainly not one about righteousness and salvation and sin. In chapter 2 of Paul's first letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, he even confesses that he entered this city with fear and with trembling. Paul knew that it would take nothing short of the power of the Holy Spirit of God himself for the city of Corinth to be transformed. These letters to Corinth also give us a glimpse into exactly what Paul would come up against in Corinth. Therein, he describes a disturbing breadth of sexual immorality, disunity, constant disagreements, power struggles, abuse of the Lord's Supper and the spiritual gifts, Issues of slavery, idol worship, eating of food sacrificed to idols. These are just some of the issues that Paul addressed after spending an entire year and a half with this church. This place was a mess. These people were difficult and Paul had a ton of ground to cover. Preach to Corinth. Paul must have wondered as he walked around the city observing brothels and temples at every corner. How? These people are out of control and I can't do it alone. I don't even have any money or food or a place to stay. How am I going to climb this mountain? As I was contemplating how Paul must have felt walking around the city of Corinth and as the weight of what was coming settled upon his spirit, I was reminded 
of a mountain that I have been battling with for three and a half years. In the spring of 2014, ironically, when this song that we just sang, Oceans, came out, the Lord started speaking to me about a place called Calvin Seminary. Brendan and I were engaged, and I was living in the Middle East. Brendan was in Michigan trying to figure out what kind of life we were going to have when I came home, and we were planning a fall wedding. I didn't have a job lined up, and Brendan was working so hard to be able to afford a small apartment for us. We didn't know any of you. We didn't have a church community. We didn't have a family community here. We were young and in love and absolutely broke. All I wanted at that point in time was to get married and to be normal and happy. That's all I wanted. Seminary felt like this ridiculous, absolutely impossible inconvenience. I was tired from being on the mission field in the Middle East, um, seminary is ridiculously expensive. There were a million reasons why this was completely impossible. And even if we could make this happen, if I would get accepted and we could somehow fund it, I'm a female. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Will there even be a job for me at the end? Is all of this just going to be a ridiculous waste of time and energy that will amount to nothing but debt? There was no way. Much like Paul, I was very much aware that there was nothing short of the power of the Holy Spirit of God himself that was going to make this happen. By this point in his life, though, Paul is well aware of the sufficiency and the enoughness of the power of God that we sang about so beautifully this morning. I was very much not yet aware. Very much unlike me, in our text for this morning, Paul is calm as a cucumber. He doesn't really display any hint of that anxiety that he talks about later in Corinthians. He walks into that city of Corinth with some fear, and he walks in with some anxiety, but he walks in full and expectant of hope, joy, that the kingdom is coming to Corinth and God graciously meets Paul every step of the way. So first, the Lord solves this problem of Paul being alone. And out of the blue, we have two Jewish tent makers. They make tents like Paul. They have a place for Paul to stay. God has provided Paul with friends, with partners, with business partners, and with a a place to make his way in Corinth. It's a small thing, but it's astounding. Paul is in the pattern of doing ministry where he knows where the Lord is at work. This is why he starts in synagogues. God has been at work with the Jewish people since the beginning of time, so he starts where God is at work. Every single Sabbath, Paul is in that synagogue where he preaches. We've got very specific verbs here, too. Paul isn't just lackadaisically preaching. Paul is exhorting these people. He is passionate. He reasons. He debates. He argues. People, Jesus is the Messiah. 
The Lord honors Paul's obedience by tackling this problem of income. Silas and Timothy, who, if you remember, had been left in Berea, arrive. They arrive with tremendous encouragement. They come and they say, Paul, these churches that we planted in Macedonia, they are growing and they are flourishing and God is blessing our ministry. They also come with funds. We know this because Paul no longer has to build those tents. God has made a way. But as it always happens, trouble starts when the Jews become abusive towards Paul. They start slandering and they start lying about him and telling untrue things about him. And Paul responds by shaking the dust off his clothes as a way to say, I did what the Lord asked me to do and how you respond is on you. Paul then goes on to preach to the Gentiles. And I want to be quite clear here. This doesn't mean that the Lord is abandoning the Jews forever. In this particular city, he is moving on to the Gentiles because the Jews have rejected him. When Paul goes to Ephesus in our next story, he begins again in the synagogue. But for now, Paul goes to where he sees the Lord at work. It's next door. In the home of a wealthy believer where Paul can begin to preach again. And it's at this time where the power of the Spirit of God at work in Paul begins to cover some tremendous ground. Luke tells us that many Corinthians believe and they are baptized and astoundingly, Crispus, the leader of this very synagogue that had thrown Paul out, believes. His whole family believes and they are baptized in the kingdom of God. And it's also at this time that the Lord meets Paul with a really awkwardly timed vision. Keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, says the Lord. Don't be afraid. Why would Paul be afraid? The Corinthians are being baptized left and right. And the leader of the synagogue has just been baptized with his family. Things appear to be going really well. So why would Paul be afraid? Paul is not a dumb man. Paul knows the gravity of this mission that the Lord has him on. And he knows that whenever the kingdom of God begins to take ground, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness rises up and tries to take it back. Paul's seen it happen again and again. And he knows that it's on the heels of his greatest triumph comes the worst of persecution. The battle is heating up. The enemy is coming for him, and Paul knows it. And the Lord responds to this temptation to be afraid with this gift of hope. Don't be afraid. I will protect you. Don't be silent. And then this really fascinating part, you have to keep speaking, for I have many people in Corinth. And I think this means that the Lord has marked many people in the city of Corinth to enter into the kingdom of God. The Lord has big and mighty plans for Corinth, and Paul must keep speaking so that the church in Corinth can be planted deeply. Paul is nearing the top of the mountain of Corinth, and he keeps on going. 
He preaches every day and he teaches and he heals and he delivers and he disciples for an entire year and a half. This is the longest he stays relatively anywhere. And there is much fruit just as the Lord had promised. And when the kingdom of darkness comes hunting for Paul again, the spirit of God manifests in the ruling authorities over Corinth. Now, it's really interesting that Paul's in Corinth for a year and a half, and Luke only gives us 17 verses about that whole time. And six of those verses are about this interaction between the Jews of Corinth who do not believe in Gallio. So the Jews come and they tell they tell Gallio, this man is blaspheming. And Gallio says, I don't care what y'all preach. This is a religious issue. It's an in-house issue. It's not my circus and it's not my monkeys, so get out of my court. Now this feels insignificant, but like American law, when one ruling is set, it sets precedent for future rulings. This means that no Roman authority in the city of Corinth is allowed to say anything about what Paul is saying in the synagogue again. The way has been paved for the church of Corinth. So Gallio drives the crowd away and absolute anarchy is loosed on the platform. An unnamed they, presumably anti-Semitic Gentiles. So Luke told us that Lydia, or not Lydia, Aquila and Priscilla are there because of persecution. Now we've got the ruler of the synagogue who took his role after Crispus being beat. There's already persecution of the Jews happening in the Roman world. So the synagogue leader is beat and Gallio does not care. But just as God had promised, Paul never even had to speak on that platform. And he's safe. Paul had climbed this mountain of Corinth not by might, not by power, and certainly not by his words. He didn't even get to use them here. And the church of Corinth was planted, and friends, the church of Corinth still stands today. The churches that we have in Greece and across that part of the world stem from this moment in history. Now, as many of you are aware, this mountain of seminary is still a little taller. I'm still climbing it. We are so close. And as I watched the ways in which the Lord encouraged and provided for and carried Paul along the way, I couldn't help but see parallels to my own road. Because just as God had provided Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy, the Lord has provided you all for us. He's given you to us and you have prayed with us and for us and encouraged us. You've cried with us and weeped with us and rejoiced with us. God works in team. He provides a team. And just as the Lord provided funding for Paul and Silas and the whole team so that they could devote themselves to ministry everywhere they went, the Lord has provided for us in ways that do not make mathematical sense. The financial burden of seminary has been minimal and we are absolutely dumbfounded at the goodness of the Lord. And just as the Lord gave visions of hope and promise and the assurance of fruit, the Lord 
has whispered to us at rock bottom that he is headed somewhere with this and that there will be fruit. Unless you think that I'm, I'm sharing our testimony to brag, I want to be quite clear that this has been nothing but a testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The story is a testimony to his power at work. It's a testimony of the Lord's provision in the face of incredible challenge. It's a testimony of the reality of how God is still in the business of calling his people to mountains. And he is still in the business of providing a way for them to be crossed. Our Lord loves to make a way. He delights in us resting and depending on his sufficiency. Now, Gold Avenue Church's mission is to be a church that embodies, proclaims, and advances the kingdom of God. We are a kingdom mountain climbing church, friends. It's what we are. And last week, Pastor Dave invited us to go climbing. He invited us to be burdened for our neighbors and for our community. And he invited us to step out and to climb and to bring the reality of the kingdom into the world around us. It's calling. It's an invitation to build his kingdom corporately as a church community and individually, each one of us. So we're looking at this mountain, and I don't know what yours is named. I don't know what big thing he's been whispering to you about. I don't know what small thing he's been whispering to you about. But I do believe that the Lord has set a path before each and every one of us. And I believe that this morning he would like to stir faith. He would like to solidify the name on that mountain. And he would like you, he would like to invite you to ask him to make a way. I think he has two questions for us this morning. What is your mountain? And what do you need the Lord to provide? In Matthew 7, Jesus tells the crowd on the mountainside that we serve a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Do you believe that? He provides and he makes a way. And so as we um, come to a close that's more of a start, I want to invite the worship team to come up. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer and start a prayer, and then I'm going to leave it silent for a minute. And I want us to sit in this moment and I want us to ask if we don't know what our mountain is or even if we have a mountain, let's ask the Lord, is there something that you have for me? And if you know the name of that mountain, I think we're all quite aware of what we, what we would need and what we need to help in order to step out into that mountain. And maybe you're mid-mountain and you need more resources. Ask and you shall receive So let's pray. Lord, I'm amazed at your sufficiency. 
Lord, and we're, um, we're humbled that you would partner with even us. Lord, and that you can do astounding things through us when we surrender to you. So, Lord, as we seek your face, would you solidify calling? Lord, would you stir faith in our hearts to ask for that which we cannot imagine? Lord, show us how to pray.